hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you guys version 1.0 of the Thunder Prospect ranking. So I'm going to be going through everyone currently on the Thunder, ranking them based on skill set, potential, just kind of everything. I'll be going more into detail on that in a little bit. Give you guys a little bit more of a deep dive on everybody as opposed to just a couple of guys. But before I get into that, I want to let you guys know about DraftKings Sportsbook. The NFL is back and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for week one. Just bet $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly no matter what. Take advantage of this limited time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook now to check out all the great promotions and daily odd boosts. Plus, you can make every game a big game with same game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code TBPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. For limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions will apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Guys, if you guys did not already hear the promo, this is a new addition to the Thundersticks podcast. This has been something I've been working towards for literally months When I joined you guys with the Basketball Podcast Network, I believe in May, one of my goals obviously was to continue grow, growing as a podcaster, getting you guys involved, and now DraftKings is an official sponsor of the podcast. And that is all thanks to you guys for tuning in to me for the last, not just three months, almost a year now that we are approaching. So I'm really thankful for it. This is a big stuff here, and you know, I'm happy to give you guys more updates on DraftKings, one of the best betting websites out there, the best in my humble opinion. But anyways, we're just going to get right into the action regarding the Thunder Prospect rankings. And I will say, this is kind of a topic that I think is going to float around a lot of different podcasts, and that's just kind of the nature of things. Like you look at blog sites, for example, like top three or five guys who can break out. Every single team, regardless of where you're going, there's going to be something like that. Looking at teams, top five best players, you're going to find that everywhere. It's just kind of one of those things. And a lot of people have different opinions on it. And that's why everybody talks about it. And I originally got this idea from Daily Thunder, done some work there previously. And I think Spencer Davis wrote it up, but I kind of want to give my rendition on it. I think this is going to be one of those things where the next month and a half or so, I will be looking back at it, kind of revising things. Probably in retrospect, could have done one prior to preseason or summer league season play opening up. But, you know, now we're kind of in this resting period where we have like a month where there's not a lot going on. Uh, Lori Markkinen's going to Cleveland though. I might talk about that more in detail in another episode, but that, that's kind of crazy. I'm curious to see how they kind of sort things out there, but there's 15 guys on this Thunder roster that they need to manage. And when I go through this list, I'm going to be going in reverse order. I know you guys want to hear about SGA first. He's number one, like duh. But you know, I do want to give you guys some insights on really everybody here. And I will say technically there could be 17 people. If you want to count Gabrielle Deck and you want to count Charlie Brown Jr., be my guest. I think they're technically on the payroll, but they're non-guaranteed. I don't believe either are going to be back. I think Deck was probably going to be better suited overseas. And for Charlie Brown Jr., um, you know, he had a couple of decent moments and all that. But 
I'm not sure. So if we, if you want to add Charlie Brown Jr., that's fine. I'm going to put him 16th on this list, but we're starting at number 15. And it begins with Mike Muscala, actually. And this is where eyebrows might get raised because Mike Muscala, compared to the rest of the team last year, was actually one of the more reliable and just overall better guys at hand. Averaged 9.7 points, 3.8 rebounds, and 0.8 assists averaging 18.4 minutes a game only played in 29 of those or excuse me he played in 35 so really not much better the reason was you know young talent they needed time on the floor he got kind of axed Al Horford got benched he got you know traded over this offseason but he stuck around he's kind of in this Nick Collison zone where you know he's just kind of rejoining as a veteran he hasn't been around the franchise for that long but he's still a very very positive impact and you could probably argue skill wise he could be pushed higher than this and i'd agree with you but you need to look at the fact he's almost 30 years old he's going to be on these minimum contracts i think when you look at overall impact just from a leadership standpoint he's a lot higher than 15. he's not the bottom of the barrel and we saw that last year he was one of the better stretch fives at hand but I'm rating him here because I'm looking at potential and I'm looking at, you know, if there was two new franchises added, and I guess that could be another story, but two new teams join the league, you have to keep, you know, you can only keep eight people, for example, who would be the first guy to go? I think Mike Muscala from a business perspective probably is one of the first ones to leave just because he is up there in age in terms of what our timeline looks like and i think we just have too much young talent so i'm putting him here i think he's a spectacular shooter he's gonna get things done for the thunder and i did my depth chart i did a lot of talking about that stuff uh in the last podcast actually on monday sorry for the three-day gap it was really big stuff uh coming from DraftKings, but over that three-day gap period i mean you guys can check that one out i was kind of trying to fine-tune things I think Mike Muscala is still going to be in that position where he might actually be ghosted in, you know, replacement for a guy like Jeremiah Robinson Earl or an Isaiah Roby playing small ball five. Like if we're going based on wins and who we want the top 10 guys, Mike Muscala is probably there. But I think, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see with him. I don't think he'd get traded at the deadline, uh, especially when you take into account like he's still on the team. The Thunder could have just left him, got like a Thon maker or something like that in free agency. But they opted not to do so. So I think that really just speaks strongly as to how Mike Muscala is as a player and the organization in general. I'm ranking him this low, but really don't look at it like that. It's kind of like a tier-based system we got going over here, and you'll see why in a second. Because at 14, we got another front court piece in Derek Favors. And Derek Favors, he's just like Mike Muscala in the fact that he's up there in age, and I don't think he's going to be, you know, part of your playoff run. He's 30 years old right now. It feels like he's about 34. Uh, he got drafted in 2010, but we haven't seen him we got him in the trade really just a salary dump by the jazz to get mike conley back uh just kind of backstabbing one of the more loyal guys they've had from the al jefferson days good lord uh but you know he's in bricktown all that we had to do was take on his like two-year 20 million dollar contract we got a first rounder attached to it still not really sure on the specifics uh on that trade it's really awkward like i feel like we kind of know uh, protections and all that, but right now I, I don't have it on me. Anyways, he has not played bad. I mean, he's been a good reserve uh, for probably the last couple of seasons. Now he wasn't a straight up bench player until last year, actually with the Utah Jazz, because prior to that, that's when you saw him have that one year stint in New Orleans. He played 49 out of his 51 games in the starting five. And then you had those years, 2013, to 2018 to 19 so that is a gap of what close to like five years right there he was starting on a consistent basis and really he was one of the tougher guys the thunder had to suit up against back when we had kd russell westbrook jefferson and Derek favors you know they can't shoot the basketball but inside they just hounded everybody and they got some points up so 
you know, there wasn't really a rivalry until Donovan Mitchell came around, but it was not fun playing those guys four times a year. And we're going to be able to see him 72 times, whether that's in a jersey, whether he's on a, you know, on the bench with a suit on. We'll find out in time. I like him, though, just based as a role guy. And he averaged 5.4 points and 5.5 rebounds last season, played only 15 minutes a game. So the sample size isn't huge for him. He's just going to be a productive, decent bench guy. And I think that's probably, you know, what the Jazz intended on whenever they picked him up last season. Now, you need to keep in mind, you know, they are looking to contend. At least that's what I think based on some of their previous moves. And they just cannot hold on to that money. But let's say this dude was only making three, four, hell, five million dollars a year. I don't know if the Jazz would have, you know, given up as much or they might have just kept him because he's not a bad bench piece. But the thing you need to look at with the Thunder is they're in a point right now where you kind of have Derek Favors and you want to make him this project guy. Now, Kemba Walker would have been the projects of all projects and he's going to do fine in New York. We might have been able to flip him if we gave him 25, 30 minutes a game. We could not do that. And I think it's smart they just decided to cut him off because you need to play Josh Giddy. Trey Mann needs time. So does Teo. And so does Ty Jerome. It's just way too stacked in that backcourt. It's a way different story in the front court. You know, you saw guys like Tony Bradley and Moses Brown just get their numbers inflated like crazy because there was no one to play at the four or five last year. And that's what happened with Al Horford. He got in, he got to play minutes and, you know, he got to sit on the bench. We did get a first round pick, which, you know, happened to become two first because we didn't want Sangoon. Um, you know, you can debate about why that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, they flipped Al Horford for nothing. And I would say this is a rehab project with Derek Favors. I don't think $10 million is going to be uh, a good selling point for anybody. At least Al Horford had the name value and Derek Favors does, but he's not going to give you the shooting from distance. You know, he's straight up just back to basket. One of the very few guys like that left in the league and in a buyout market with the Lakers, the Clippers, would everybody want him? They absolutely would, but no one's going to trade for this guy. And the only way I could see that is if a team like the Nets are just begging to get rid of somebody uh like i know deandre jordan's in the rumor mill they got to just get rid of the money though so i don't really think he could be traded off like a horford anything could happen here i just think you place him in he's probably going to get 20 24 minutes a game like i don't see a major drop off with him uh he'll just be solid though and i think he does give you more of that veteran leadership because when you look at the Thunder roster, I think he's even more tenured than Kemba if we wanted to put him uh, on this roster. But just in general, I mean, he has been in the league way longer than everybody else here. So look at him to be like another Mike Muscala. You're not looking at him thinking he's posting double-doubles every game, though. He is prone to do that, though. So don't be surprised if he does have uh, some interesting stat lines. But moving beyond the two bigs, we start going into the youth and we look at Aaron Wiggins at number 13. And with Wiggins, I liked him. I, I know whenever we picked him at 55, that was one where I was super happy. Now, were there still some very good guys remaining on the board? There absolutely were. I think Vrenz would have been a fun guy, 6'10", 6'11", wing, um, but he can play at the perimeter. EJ Onu would have been a decent pickup, but Aaron Wiggins was up there for me, and I was really thankful we got him. I think the value, as we saw in Vegas, is more like an early second to mid-second, maybe even better than that. He's already 22 years old, so you don't look at him and think he's you know, going to blossom out of nowhere in his rookie-scale contract. He's only on a two-way, but he does have some decent seeds, and whenever he came out of Maryland... Whenever I look at him, I mean, he was a catch-and-shoot guy. And defensively, very active. I looked at like a Melvin Frazier Jr. as my comparison for him entering draft day because he did ball out in the G League Combine, did ball out in the NBA Combine, and then we obviously saw what happened when he was playing in a Thunder jersey. But I didn't expect to see as many dimensions from him in his game. He was looking to penetrate. He started in that second unit. He was waving people off in the half court. He wanted to drive right. And he actually wanted to post people up, which was really crazy to me. But the best part about it was, you know, not just him 
being willing and open to doing that. He was calling for it himself. And when he got down there, he has some very good footwork when it comes to post spins. You know, he'll stop, he'll pivot, typically with the right foot, kind of backpedal, get better positioning. His man's off him. That's a wide open post hook for him or just a layup. There were a couple of contested uh, kind of turnarounds that were just out of nowhere. But it's a lot better than what we saw from a guy like Charlie Brown Jr. Hate to rag on him, but it's kind of is how it is. Anyways, the inside game was more prevalent for him than the outside game was, and he wasn't really used as a catch-and-shoot player. Now, I think if you put him in the Thunder system, you have Teo, you have SGA, pretty much manning the one the entire time, he's not going to be seeing the ball uh, as significantly. So he would be a guy you play on the wing. He would be played in the corner. He shot in the mid-30s with Maryland last season. I do think he'd still project that way. Now, he didn't shoot that well in Vegas, but you always got to take it with a grain of salt uh, when you don't have enough kind of reps there. You just look at the positives, the big plays. He showed those. He's going to be playing with the OKC Blue, though, I think significantly because they lost Melvin Frazier Jr. I don't know what's going to go on with Rob Edwards. I love him to death. I hope he stays. He deserves a really good contract overseas, though, maybe even a training camp roster elsewhere. Uh, so they're going to be completely gutted. I mean, one through five, the blue will be gutted. He's going to be one of the stars that kind of run around uh, in that system. But I do think he'd still get time up because I think immediately he could be an okay role player for you. Uh, they're just a little bit too stacked there. So good part about him, he's six foot seven, so you could slide him to the three in some games. I think that's really going to be his primary position in a Thunder jersey this year. We'll see where he kind of goes, though. Definite steal at pick 55, though. And moving beyond him, another second-round gym in Isaiah Roby. Got scooped up 45th two seasons ago, I believe. At the time, the Mavs gave him a ridiculous contract for a second-rounder. I don't know who his agent is, but that guy deserves a big chunk of money because I think it was the most a second-rounder got uh, to that point. Anyways, though, he's actually played up to that contract, and he showed a lot last season playing really three through five, and I didn't expect him to be a guy who could play small ball five, and I don't think he really did either. It was just a scenario where everybody was hurt on the team, someone needed to play there. You know, he's 6'8", maybe six foot nine on a good day, seven foot three wingspan. Chuck him in some games, see how he performs. I'd say he did pretty solid. Over the course of last season, he played 61 games, which is almost the most um, on the roster. That's the third best, but he averaged 8.7 points, 5.6 rebounds, 1.8 assists, and then even defensively averaged 0.9 steals and 0.6 blocks. And he's only 22 years old, and I do think he's just like a Wiggins where he's an immediate role player. He did an excellent job last season in some stints, of course, running the five. And I think that's kind of where you'd want to play him. But the problem is you put Isaiah Roby against two, a, a back to basket big. Let's say Derek Favors versus Isaiah Roby in a practice. I feel like Derek Favors probably would have his number. When you look at a guy like Ennis Cantor, this dude had 20 plus rebounds on him. Like 10 of them were offensive. A Mitchell Robinson, just anybody who's really good at uh, salvaging those rebounds, he's going to have a tough time. And I think when you look at more of those like versatile, let's play at the perimeter, like Laurie Markkinen, for an example, Isaiah Roby would stand up pretty well there. And I think that's kind of where you look at him almost as a power forward. And he's still pretty quick uh, for that position. Now you get that bigger mismatch at the five, but it kind of declines a little bit. What we saw from him he actually has a pretty decent handle on the basketball. When it comes to kicking it out, he's also pretty solid. I think when you look at like rudimentary skills or whatever, he's a, he's a bit above that. Like his palate isn't just, just raw everywhere. Um, but he's good in those two areas. When it comes to slashing inside, we saw some big improvement from him. There was a major posterizer in those final 10 games. I think he wanted to absorb some contact and try to get to the foul line last year. Shot about 75% from that area. 
But the big thing for me is how are we going to see him utilized from the perimeter? Because we've seen him as a slasher. When it comes to high ball screens, him and Teo did a great job last season and it showed a lot in the preseason. I think that's how he ultimately kind of got his own roster spot because there was some steep competition in last year's training camp. But I want to check him out from distance because he was shooting threes and he shot 1.8 a game on average, shot right below 30%. The thing with him though, he kind of hesitated a lot. Like when you saw these pick and rolls, high ball screens, oftentimes you would see the center, you know, just hedge or drop. There would not be much coverage on Isaiah Roby to start things. And he'd have a wide open shot at the top of the key or like the right wing. If he just takes that every single time, I don't care if it's make or miss. I'm happy with the end result there because we are looking to just improve as a team winning probably not the end goal that we have in mind for next year you know we had Cade Cunningham and Kuminga in our sights we ended up with Josh Giddy and Trey Mann both those two are still great but you know there are a lot of stars uh kind of gleaming in our on our eyes right now um but yeah we'll see kind of how uh everything shapes out with him like I said, though, do think he is pretty decent everywhere. Just positionally, you need to figure things out. And thinking, you know, four or five years, he probably will still have a home around the NBA. But is he going to be a starting caliber guy? Probably not. Just a very versatile bench player. That's why I have him at number 12. And at number 11, I actually put Josh Hall here. And this is where you talk about the potential. And you're going to see it as we go higher and higher on this board. If you're putting Josh Hall against Isaiah Roby, he's going to win. Like, Isaiah Roby's going to stomp all over him. I think Josh Hall against anybody right now probably would get stomped all over. But then again, we have not seen a lot of Josh Hall. And I gave the big rundown whenever, you know, he signed his uh, two-way deal again. He's on his second one, going to have 50 games in the NBA. It's pretty much a one-year contract, just extremely cheap and we got very good value in picking him up because he did not get to play much last season and when you check his overall palette he played 21 games last year in those 21 games he averaged 4.1 points 2.8 rebounds and 1.3 assists but the big thing was there was that final game against the Clippers that I always kind of bring back to the table Outside of that, it wasn't like this guy was going crazy. And in the summer league, he didn't have a great performance until the final game and really the final quarter of play. That's where he earned his stripes. But he's still a 20-year-old, I guess, approaching 21. I forgot when his birthday is. But he's only 20 right now, entering his sophomore season. Six foot nine point forward who has flash skills from just about everywhere. And I've drawn the comparison to Darius Baisley. I think it's an adequate one. Um, really, when you look at now Bays kind of struggling from distance, Josh Hall, that is his major downside. But you look at a guy like him and he can still hit if he gets hot from three and we haven't seen it enough to really justify it. But the jumper looks clean. I think the mechanics are pretty damn solid there. There could be a game or two, whether it's with the blue or with the thunder, where he just heats up and he's dropping 20 points in the game, really just out of nowhere. But the big deal you look at him with is the offensive side where you give it to him in the half court or even in transition. He's a lot faster than your typical six foot nine guy. So he can blaze by you pretty good when it comes to, uh, you know, starting off some dribble moves and then kind of getting that extra step in. Saw a poster in Vegas. He did want to go through contact, finish some of them off, kind of like a Hamadou Diallo where he can be strong, but there's a lot more potential I think people give credit for. And yeah, I mean, when you're checking the pecking order of who has proven the most, who is probably the best, Josh Hall is not going to rank at number 11, but I think by the end of the season, he might be there and he could be the next guy to the likes of Lou Dort. Deontay Burton where they finish their contract out and they get upgraded because of just how well they were playing so I like Josh Hall uh, kind of as someone to look towards in the future and guess what if he doesn't pan out he's probably going to be playing a lot in the blue it's fine you just keep him in the blue I think he's still going to get decent chances regardless but you're not paying him a ton you're not linked really to him at all so you can just let him walk in the next free agency and i'm sure another team would love 
to see uh, kind of what they can do and where Josh Hall can go with this game because he does have a very intriguing palette for someone who did not even hear his name called in last year's draft. But moving on into the top 10, Kenrich Williams, he finds himself on the list. And this is where you look at skills more so over the potential because, you know, Kenrich Williams, he's not old. He's 26, so he's going to have probably like two, three, maybe even four more years where he could be developing. I'll probably stick with two or three though. Um, just be a little bit more modest there, but he's a great player. And we saw it last season. He was Mr. Consistent, Mr. You know, he's called Kenny Hustle for a reason. He didn't care if the Thunder were down 50, which happened by the way, that, that happened against the Pacers damn near was 60 points. It might've been, uh, I'll need to check on that. But there were games, a lot of them, where the Thunder were out of it. And the, you'd throw Kenrich Williams in there. He didn't care. He would just be clamping up on everybody, getting steals, diving for loose balls. And then on the offensive end, he'd just be John. And he'd be getting mid-range shots. He'd be driving inside. Just probably the most gritty guy that the Thunder have on their roster. And when you look at his contract, he's only making $2 million for this season and then next season. I thought he would be traded. Uh, maybe he could be traded by the end of this season because that kind of is a speculation with a guy on that sort of budget deal. But, you know, he's still here right now. We'll see where he gets his minutes. Whenever I did my roster projections, I didn't see him really cracking much of the time. Now, if injury comes in, he's the next man up. But you probably have to split him between the two and the three. Some at the four and some spurts as well. Might see him. Uh, some more just we'll have to check probably Jeremiah Robinson Earl to see if there is kind of an open door for him there but he's probably the most all-around guy we had on the bench unit and maybe overall now gotta put a couple guys to the side there of course when you make that conversation but he was extremely underrated uh, not just for the Thunder fan base but just in the NBA uh, spectrum as well but in his games he played 66 that was the most on the team he averaged 8 points, 4.1 rebounds, 2.3 assists, and then 0.8 steals. Seems like he averaged a lot more than that, though, uh, when you check some of those games. He'd be having 4 steals, 5 steals in a game, and then he'd be dropping 16 points. And he'd be hitting from distance. He'd be just trying to rummage throughout the paint. It didn't matter. He would hit the mark. He shot 53% overall in the season. But the biggest factor with him is what he did from downtown. And with the New Orleans Pelicans, and really prior to that when he was playing for TCU, he wasn't known to be a three-point shooter. Now, would he be open? Would he take the threes? Of course he would. But he'd be flaky at best to where he's shooting like 28 or 29% from the floor with the Pelicans. And then you check the next season because he really wasn't playing much. You just see spikes. And that even went into the free throw category as well. With the Thunder... He was consistent the whole entire way from the perimeter. He averaged 1.8 attempts from distance, shot 44.4% from that area. So he just destroys everybody in that category. And it really was just catch and shoots. You know, he didn't have many DHOs or coming off of screens trying to take shots. Just find him in a stationary position. A lot of people really in the beginning parts of the year didn't want to put a hand up in front of him. He made him pay. And then even by the end of the season, you know, you didn't see a lot of effort in garbage time. Saw it from him and he would cash out. But even driving inside, if you sagged off and you were trying to give him an open lane, he would take it. And this guy's built pretty damn strong. I think he's like probably 6'5", 6'6", 230, but he's pretty damn beefy. So he's going to take the position. He's going to use his strength more so than his actual speed to get by you. And once he has kind of the good angle, he's just going to keep running and running, steamrolling through you to get the basket. Got to the foul line a decent bit last year, but just like I talked about, I mean, he was all about the up and downs with the Pelicans. Shot 57% from the foul line, which is pretty intriguing uh, when you want to kind of break things down. But he was great on offense. Very good surprise. I know against the Bulls last season, all of his points were kind of coming from the post. And it's kind of an oddity based on just what the Bulls look like as a team. But he did great. And then he was one of the top three defenders, probably top two on the Thunder roster last season. But going beyond him to number nine, this is one that might upset a couple people. 
And that's fine. I, I think that I'll get some flack, but this is a very close group. That's why I said tears. Ty Jerome's at number nine. And this has to do with potential, I think with skill. There's arguments that he's better than a lot of these guys ahead of him because he probably is, uh, just based on what we have watched. The big thing though is he's about to turn 24 years old and the rotation is just full of very young guards and you just piled them on in this draft class. It was very confusing why they did it, but I think it really does hurt Ty Jerome. Even though he is worthy of playing 24 minutes a game, he could be a very premium backup point guard. You want to compare him to like a campaign with the Suns last season, that'd be a good uh, kind of battle amongst those two, but he'd be battling with Teo for minutes. Difference is Teo's 20 years old, Ty Jerome looking at 24 now, and you check out his game. I mean, he was great in his 33 games. Had to play with the blue in February to kind of prove himself because he was dealing with injuries. Didn't even really play in training camp. Still clung onto that roster spot. Um, and people were upset. I was upset that he had the spot over Frank Jackson. He made me look like a fool, though, to close out the year because he averaged 10.7 points, 2.8 rebounds, and 3.6 assists playing 23 minutes a game. And then to top things all off, you check him as a passer. He's a very, very smart one. 3.6 assists to just 1.4 turnovers. That is an insanely good assist to turnover ratio. One of the better ones you're going to find on last year's Thunder roster. But the big thing was how he was shooting it from distance. He's a guy who can get inside. He's not quick. He really has to use his IQ to kind of weave his way inside, but also find people outside. Kind of has to tinker with the corner sitters, you know, their man, just to get him off balance at least a little bit. It's not like a Diallo or an SGA where they're just going to blow right by you and they are just like a magnet taking people from the corner. He has to be really smart about it and he is. Also, when it comes to backdoor cuts, he'll just hang at the top of the key until he finds a good target and he'll hit them. Uh, but as a shooter though, that is what kind of helped create that because he had a lot of attention surrounding himself to close out the year. He averaged over five three-pointers a game, shot 42.3%, and I don't have the numbers on the ranges with this guy, but he was shooting a lot of 30-foot bombs, and they were going in at a very high rate. So he could shoot it from everywhere. I think when you look at you know, who would be the second best um, point guard on this team, maybe you'd want to put him above Teo. I think it's reasonable, and I think that's... You know, he's definitely better than the guys I'm going to put ahead of him. I think he's going to be one of those very solid uh, bench guys that you're going to find. I don't know about starting unit, but if you need like a spark plug in a playoff game, Ty Jerome is one of those people who could come out of the woodworks and get it done for you. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see what his trajectory looks like because even though he's been great in the Thunder jersey, he needs to find some minutes and all the new talent that they just acquired kind of puts a wrench into his plans. But the guy I put ahead of him at number eight, he doesn't have a proven record. He doesn't have an NBA record at all, but he's in a much better spot rotationally than Ty Jerome. And it's Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He joined this team going over the likes of JT Thor, for example. I love JT Thor. Miles McBride also went a couple picks later. Like there were options in this second round. But the Thunder, they wanted to go with JRE. They had to trade both pick 34 and 36 to get to 32 in order to select him. But he looked amazing in summer league play. And I ranked him, I think, as the MVP. It was between him and Teo uh, in regards to what they were doing in Las Vegas. But he was an absolute monster. And what you're gonna find with him, it's almost like an Isaiah Roby, except you're gonna subtract a couple years. He's 20 years old. And he's just like Isaiah where I actually think you can play him right away and he will be productive for you. Is he going to just go out of nowhere, get 20 points, 15 points, 10 and 10 immediately? I don't think so. I think he's kind of just more so a chess piece you use to amplify some of the other guys, but he could be a very good pick and pop player. He's a six foot nine guy who is pretty good at boxing people out uh, under the rim for rebounds, but the high ball screen was huge for him in Vegas. Teo just went right around it. He could hit him with a floater. He could kick out. But 
A lot of the time, he just had to look right behind him. He didn't even need to look. He throws no looks really well. But just dial it up to Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Doesn't even need to think about it. He's popping the three. And he had a lot of games where he was just a rifle from downtown. People were shooting 11% as a collective. But, you know, he would actually be hitting. And that was the trend. Regardless of what everybody else was doing, he was always playing his style of ball. And kind of like what Kenrich Williams was doing almost last year off the bench, but he's going to get minutes uh, in a bench role immediately. Is he going to play more than Trey Mann from the get-go? I think that is that that actually has a decent likelihood, believe it or not, because of what you have at the four and five, but he'll be good. And his question is just like Isaiah Roby from last year. He looked amazing playing in the front court in the preseason, but that's the preseason. That's where you're playing guys who are very good in one area, pretty lackluster everywhere else. And there's just some seven foot bodies that you find who are posting pretty good numbers, um, but you put them in the NBA game, it's never going to work out for them. So we'll see how he would adjust to the actual NBA center where there's a lot more skills there and they're a little bit faster because he was blazing by people um, in Vegas. But He's still great. And I think playmaking is kind of that underrated skill of his where I thought he'd just be kind of decent everywhere. Didn't think playmaking would would become his forte, but he was throwing in some beautiful bounce passes in transition. He was finding open targets, even taking himself when he wants to. And then when he's rolling to the cup, he can dunk it. Is it crazy, you know, athletic? Is he crazy athletic? Probably not. No, but he gets it done. And then very smart too with like some of the pump fakes to kind of broaden his horizon and make some shots. So I really like what he's going to do here. I don't think he's going to have much time with the Oklahoma City Blue, if at all. I think he's going to be a person you're finding playing like 18 a game to start things out, might blossom into the mid-20s by the end of the regular season. But past him, you have another power forward who will be fighting for some minutes, and that is in Darius Baisley. And if you wanted me to do this from last year, Darius Baisley would have been in the top four, probably the top three. I remember I did a podcast with one of my friends and we were doing over and unders. This is like one of my first 10, 15 episodes, but um, yeah, not so great takes there. I think we had over and under, just like pick the stats, 16 and eight average with Darius Baisley. And I put it around there. I genuinely thought that's what he'd be doing uh, with the roster and you look at his stats from last season, it wasn't all that bad. He averaged 13.7 points and 7.2 rebounds, also 1.8 assists, but the efficiency was just really bad um, compared to what everybody thought. And he had very high standards all of last season. I think everybody can kind of admit that when we went through the treacherous winter of last year, where he would get one game, he's dropping 18 points, 11 rebounds, and then he just looked like he was out of place for five games. Everybody was just torching it. Everybody was just ragging on Darius Baisley for his inconsistency. And he was inconsistent. I think he would probably even say the same. Like, he didn't have many good streaks. Like, even two games. That was pretty difficult for him. But he was still a very good player. Um, the issue is, though, he needs to be able to shoot the three ball. And... Oftentimes there was, and this is really later on, people were just really propping up Poku, play him over Baisley. Baisley should be off the bench. Baisley shouldn't be playing because he just didn't work really with how he needed to um, be out there. And his job from the get-go was to be a guy at the perimeter and a secondary ball handler behind Shea Gilgis-Alexander because in the bubble, he was a monster. And even from distance, he was a major player in the Thunder's bubble hopes and really even playoff hopes. He was making some clutch shots against the Houston Rockets. But the issue was in the transition to his sophomore campaign, three ball just wiped and it never really surfaced for him start to finish in the season. And he was still launching threes. He actually averaged more threes a game than Ty Jerome did, for example. So it wasn't like he wasn't taking them people were sagging off and almost like forcing him to take jumpers and he'd hesitate still place over five a game though. So there was clearly something there. Anyways, he shot sub 30% from there, 29 flat. It's pretty bad. And 
you need to have Darius Baisley as a competent shooter because if you have a game or if you just have a season where he's shooting mid-30s, like 33 to 35 percent, that's that's a lot better than 29. It may not look like it on paper, but it really is. That makes it so he can actually slash inside again and he can find people wide open because you didn't get to see a lot of that. Sometimes he'd get the ball. He had a, he would have a wide open three, but he'd still try to drive in to someone who was sagging off. He'd get cut off and then someone sneaks in, just jars the ball loose. You're going the other way. Or he'd just take a bad shot uh, off a of penetration and really not think twice about it. So decision-making was an issue, but you got to keep in mind, this guy's 20 years old. He has a lot of growth and a lot of strides he can make. Is this going to be a make or break year for him? Of course it is. And I think we can all kind of agree to that narrative. Like there is almost a battle going on between him and Alexei Pokashevsky. Poku has shown more flashes and, you know, a lesser amount of time. Like Baisley's highlights from last season might not look all that glamorous, but there were times where he looked all right. He just needs to have the three because as we all know, he does have a pretty decent handle. He can finish around the basket. Uh, a little bit awkward to play him at the four though. And He's kind of turning into a bit of a tweener, but the potential, that's what keeps him in this race. That's what puts him at number seven on this list. And past number seven, you go back to one of the rookies and you go to the first rounder, Trey Mann out of Florida. And this is still kind of one singular group. Like I'd say nine through, I'll tell you where the cutoff is, but this is a big group where there's not a lot of kind of gashes between the two. Everyone's very close. And Trey Mann, he was a, you know, great point guard with Florida, I'd say, because he came in still, you know, he kind of had some name rec recognition, but he just wasn't producing for them. He's averaging like five points off the bench. Splits aren't that amazing. But then he comes back for his sophomore season, leads the team in scoring, shoots about 40% from distance. And I think in a normal year where there you know, wasn't as many guards at the top, you would have looked at Trey Mann as a lottery talent. And I think people kind of still did. Thunder, they had their crosshairs just locked on this guy. They took him at 18, ran with it. There's reports that they actually liked man over Sengun to begin with. So a lot of people liked him. And I think even at pick 19, there was uh, there were some people believing that that pick only got traded because Trey Mann was off the board at that spot. A lot of people like Trey Mann. It's because kind of the potential he's instantly going to give you. And with Mann... You know, he's kind of gotten out of the teenager phase. Like, I think he's 20 years old now, and he is. Yeah, he's 20 years old, turned 20 in February. 6'5", could even bargain him as 6'6". Six six. He just growed in college, and his play is pretty similar to SGA, and I think that's probably why the Thunder wanted to take him. Now, I thought he would be like SGA because he does have a pretty good handle. Speed-wise, not elite, but he'd still drive in has a beautiful floater and look to take contact. The other big deal was he already had a very good step back three, a better step back three than SGA had when he joined the Clippers in his rookie season. He didn't even get that three point shot until he joined the Thunder, honestly. So there's a lot you can talk about with Trey Mann and there's a lot of potential attached to him. You just got to put him in the right situations. And I want to see him patrol that second unit. There's Teo, there's Ty. It's ugly, as I've said like five times, but you give him the spotlight, he will be able to get you some numbers. And he didn't really put up great averages in Vegas. Didn't get to play the full time due to personal reasons. He did get cut short, but he was looking to drive and he just really, like Wiggins did, played a lot different than what, you know, the game report would have told you beforehand. Like he was looking to attack the basket. He wanted to drive into two people. There was someone open from distance. He didn't really kick it out. He did it a lot in Florida. So I think that'd come back uh, in regular season play, but he was looking to get his. And I like that from him. And from three, he was more hesitant. He wanted to penetrate instead of taking the three point shot, even though that was one of his money makers uh, at the collegiate level. If he is able to keep that going with a step back as deadly, he's good to go because he was the quickest ball handler, the quickest player on the Thunder roster in summer league and probably one of the quicker rookies in this draft class. And I did not expect it. He is so much quicker. And at six foot five, 
dude's got a lot of lightning in the bottle. So you can just uncork it. He's flying to the rim. And, you know, if unless you're one of the premier defenders in the league, you're going to get blown right by. And the beauty of his game is, you know, he doesn't need to take contact from that second level. If you're leaving a bit of distance, he'll just take a floater. And he has one of the prettiest floaters that you're going to find uh, from this previous draft class. So he could be a big surprise guy, I'd say, on this roster. He'll be like a Teo or a Poku where he'll drop 25 off the bench and everyone is just going crazy over him. A lot to be happy about with Trey Mann. But starting at the top five, I still think this is a close comparison. Teo's getting number five for me. And I think a lot of people would put Teo a little bit further down the board. And I understand, like, when you check potential, maybe Trey Mann is a bit better. Uh, maybe you think Ty Jerome's just flat out the better guy. And yeah, you can have that opinion. I think with Teo, he's extremely good already. This guy did not deserve to go in the second round. And I think that might actually hold his weight down a little bit in some of these arguments. But this is a guy that really could be a rookie entering this season. And prior to what was a, a pretty weird um, professional season before entering the draft. This guy was a lottery talent. And to open up play when everybody was, you know, joining the college teams or starting their professional careers overseas, he still was supposed to be in the lottery. And a lot of botched stuff happened on his depth chart with, I think it's Asvel. I might have mispronounced it a little bit. But Whatever team was playing with in France, they did not play him uh, really what he needed to be. I don't know if it was an attempt to like just plummet him in terms of draft stock. It did. Thunder got him at 34, and he was great last year. Led the team in minutes, finished his rookie campaign really with the best numbers you're going to find from him or Poku. And he ended up averaging 10.1 points, 3.2 rebounds, and 3.5 assists per game while shooting 33.5% from distance. And he was a catch and shoot guy to start things out when SGA was the guy at the helm. He just needed to go to the wing and SGA would draw the shooting guard in, Teo shooting threes, and he was shooting above 40% from there for like the first two months of the season, easily. But then when you saw SGA go down with the plantar fascia issue, when you saw him have to play major minutes at the starting point guard position, that's when you saw a bit of a decline from downtown, but a lot more passing from him and a lot more major plays around the basket. And that's why I really like him here. I think in a redraft, he's easily a first round player. I think if you would have put, you know, if you put him in this draft class, actually, knowing what you know now about what his rookie campaign looks like, he's also going in the first round. This was a major draft steal for the Thunder. I think at 20, he's a lot... You know, he has a lot more areas he can improve upon than people might give him credit for. He's not lightning fast. It's going to be an issue of his, but he is such a smart, crafty passer. He's a top five passer in this draft class, in the 2020 draft class. I did uh, talk about that even on the draft night, but he makes some ridiculous throws out there. He can play in the shadows behind somebody. This is a perfect kind of Lego piece you can fit in with almost anybody. I'm trying to think of a good Lego piece where it just works, but you know, he, he can be with any Lego set almost and you're rocking and rolling. He is one of those kinds of point guards. And like I said, 20 years old, the trajectory he showed last season where it was just bit by bit, six for six from downtown. Now he's going out for 25 points, 32 points, whatever it was, you know, getting assists into the double digits like he was showing a lot of strides for a second round pick and i think he's still going to get those chances under mark dagnall next season i'm really really excited to see him and the kind of leap he makes because there's definitely going to be one could look at him as a future starter whether to the thunder or another franchise very very polished for 20 years old though at number four very not polished this guy has a lot of work to um, to kind of you know practice on, and we didn't even get to see him in the summer league. But the potential puts him really high up on the board. It's Alexei Pokashevsky. We all knew it was coming. Some might even put him in the top three, and I would not argue with you. He has that much potential. Seven foot unicorn, seven three wingspan. You check out the tapes from the blue. He's getting. 
you know, no look alley oop passes when he's fallen out of bounds. Put him on Sports Center, and then you know he's just pulling up, hitting three pointers casually. And then even with the Thunder, he had those games. Set a rookie record. Set some records that I think even surpassed like LeBron. I think LeBron had some of these records that he was just hitting out of the park last season. But he too, like Teo, was kind of getting up on these accolades. And they had the perfect platform to do so. Everybody was hurt. Everyone around the league was hating on the Thunder for tanking, whatever. Van Pelt, he had that whole phase. It just, just kind of came out of nowhere with him. But... Yeah, he was ridiculous. And in redrafts, you got to check sources here, but people would have him in the top 10 solely based on what, you know, he could do in the next couple of seasons. But you check out his stats from last year. You know, it's not pretty. Like he had games really in the beginning of the regular season. He was not hitting any sort of shots. People wanted him off the team. They're complaining that we had to trade up to get him this and that proved everyone wrong to end things but his overall season stats red adds 8.2 points per game 4.7 rebounds and 2.2 assists while also posting 2.2 turnovers 0.9 blocks a game though that's something that i probably will go back to with him but man if he checks all the boxes and he lives up to the expectations from what we saw from him last year Dude is a star. This was the biggest home run boomer bus selection you could have found in the 2020 draft class. And if the Thunder did not take him, it's be a much different outlook you'd see from some of these fans. Because there's a lot of trust put into Pokashevsky. Like this is one of the more major experiments we're going to see in the NBA. Like you're looking at this perfect body type and it's not like a thon maker or just like a really gangly, almost like a bull bull that might be a good comparison like Bull Bull 7-2 maybe even 7-3 also skinny killed everybody in the summer league uh, and can shoot can play at the perimeter can slash problem is this guy is pretty tall to where you know his dribble stance kind of has to go a little high I think when you go to the next level of competition it's probably going to be some hiccups uh, in terms of kind of getting your way around with Poku he's the perfect build to wear almost like a Kevin Durant He can get around being that tall and he can still play like a guard and just destroy everybody. Complete mismatch, really one through three, one through four, one through five, hell. A lot of issues that can arise there. And then just based on that frame too, he comes out of nowhere to reject some shots on bigs, closeouts where he gets fingertips on it. And then he can go the other way and hammer it down on the other end. But the passing, crazy good with him. 18 now 19 years old turns 20 in december but he can kick it out like a guard too the perimeter skills where he's looking from distance also unprecedented i talked about him going seven for seven setting records from downtown if he can be on his a game every single game you put him in the starting lineup he wins the competition between darius Baisley, and that's kind of that he brings that potential to where yeah we don't know what his actual capacity is because not a lot of people come in with the sort of style like him. You see the body types, of course, but someone who was a better passer than anything else, but also on top of it was throwing it down on people, was shooting threes out of nowhere, you know, in the lower tier, uh, lower tiers in Greece. Like we don't know much about him anyways. We already got a season under wraps here, so he can grow into something special on the flip side, you know, we could still have this battle where he can't stay consistent or God forbid he can't stay healthy just due to his stature. But very good person to look out, uh, you know, maybe as a most improved player for the team. But going into the top three, you have Lou Dort here and he cemented himself as the second best player on this roster. I think we all know that, but you got to look at potential again and you'll you'll know is at number two i mean come on but lou dort when you check his statistics from last season averaged 14 points 3.6 rebounds and 1.7 assists per game 0.9 steals and 0.4 blocks you check those you know when you check the possessions he's affecting that's like top 10 in the nba one of the best perimeter defenders and even looking on the interior built like a linebacker he can still shut you down 
you look at him as someone who's going to be very good for a very long time. He's only 21 years old to put the icing on that cake, though. Big deal was what he did offensively. And he had that major game seven against the Houston Rockets. That was the only game where he could hit anything from downtown. And he shot very well, actually, from distance this year. Led the team in attempts, actually, with 6.3. Shot 34.3%. Then even from the foul line, shot 74.4% on 3.2 attempts. Certified shooter now. You find him on a catch and shoot, he'll take it. And then even taking it on his own, spotting up, you set him a screen, people are going to sag off just kind of due to the name attached to himself. He's going to pop it and he can hit. One of the more special defensive specialists who has kind of ruffled feathers offensively uh, in the league right now. And with him only being 21, he's going to be great for you. If you're checking championship teams, I think he could be your championship shooting guard now. When you look at one through three, what I look for, two out of those three need to be insane offensively. They need to be juggernauts. And I don't think Lou Dort's ever going to be that. But as a compliment, he is going to be very good. He's going to improve the other two players offensively, but he's also going to hit his shots when need be. And if you give it to him and he needs to drive in, he can still do that. He'll get you with a pump fake. He'll step inside and he can absorb contact like really nobody else. So major stuff with him. And then when you're checking someone, if LeBron's in the half court final possession, you're putting Lou Dort on him and you're going to kind of live with whatever the end result is. And number two, though, you have Josh Giddy, And I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of swayed here and my hand has been forced because you select him at pick number six in this draft class when there were a lot of options you could have gone with. This pick needs to be a guy who you fully plan on playing with SGA for the next like eight seasons. You're going to run through that rookie scale deal, going to ink him to a major extension. He's going to be one of the guys in your big blueprint. And I'm not going to downplay that. I'm going to take that at face value. If Sam Presti really loved him, I'm putting him at number two. I'm putting him above Lou Dort, someone they found in the undrafted pool, putting him above a Poku who they traded up to 17 to select. No, I mean, you spent a whole year of losing games to get Josh Giddy. They see something in this guy and we didn't get to see much from him in the summer league. And the NBL though, had that wide array of talent where he had numbers similar to LaMelo when he was actually playing in the NBL as well. Kind of like 12 points, 7.5 rebounds, 7.5 assists, something along those boundary lines. But, you know, you want to find him as that point forward. And he was used as a point guard with Adelaide, sometimes even at the two. You look at him as a two or three because it's position locked at the point guard. But now he becomes the secondary ball handler and he needs to be able to be a really good guy um when it comes to catch and shoots because he was struggling trying to shoot above 30 percent in australia you need to have a guy next to sga who will be a lights out shooter and he's kind of a more technical shooter takes a little bit more time for him to get off uh his release so there are some flags there you can't rule them as red flags you just need to pick apart you know his game uh from australia and that's he's just like a poku he's just like a vit where He's a mismatch, and he's going to just toy with you um, in the fact that he knows where everybody is on the court. He's going to drive in. He'll hit someone wide open, and he can just make plays happen really out of nothing, and that's a special ability for someone who is you know, 18 going on 19 years old. So he does have the star qualities. We haven't seen enough to kind of write him off as this or that, but you know, I- I'm putting faith in him. And number one, we put every ounce of faith in this guy it's Shea Gilgis Alexander maximum extension the rumors about Cade for SGA not true Sam Presti you know dispelled that after the draft but dude was an all-star last season let's not kid ourselves here and you can go bang on the drum again of him just having way too many attempts at scoring and he did I mean when you check drives He was like five attempts higher than Luka Doncic and Luka was in the MVP race and Luka, you know, he did have better numbers than SGA did, but SGA was still killing it. 
23.7 points per game, 4.7 rebounds, and 5.9 assists while averaging three turnovers a game. He was wild. He was one of the best finishers around the basket. I've seen stuff on Twitter now to where people are coming around to SGA as like one of the more underrated guards in the league. I mean, he's 22 years old, dropping these kinds of numbers. Picture him at 25. And when he was 21, when he was playing with Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder, we didn't get to see him man the half court. When he was with the Clippers, you know, it was, it was his rookie season, but still didn't get to see that. We let him spread his wings for all of 35 games because he was hurt. You know, the other half of that, he was crushing everybody. And yeah, you like I said, you can talk about everyone getting their numbers up. Like Moses Brown looked like an all-star in some of these contests. But SGA, when he was going for these points, he had a ton of defense on him. And when you look at the assists, maybe those were wide open shots that, you know, he was the beneficiary to. But on drives, he's driving in on two people with, you know, a head full of steam. And he's not uber athletic. He's not Zach Levine. He's not posterizing you. But he just has to utilize his footwork. He has to utilize, you know, just his ability of toying with people to get shots off. And because of it, shot above 50% on the season. And then from distance, shooting right around five a game, shot 42% from there. A lot of that came from the step backs to where you just had to put the ball in his hands, put him in an ISO, and he would kill you. And that was the first experimental year with him. You check next year. You know, 42%, that's a major benchmark you need to hit. I don't know if he'd hit it again, uh, but just give me 37, 38% from there. You're already one of the better shooters in the league. So he was quietly putting up elite numbers from the perimeter when really that wasn't his forte and passing it when it came to being under the rim. He didn't have to do it all the time, but you know, if he chose to, if you had one of the elites sitting in the corner, I mean, he'd be averaging 10 assists a game because everyone would just swelter the man when he got anywhere close to the iron. So big stuff from him. You're looking at him as someone who could be posting all-star numbers. Did last year, put him in a lot of really prestigious categories when you want to, you know, crunch down the numbers on NBA.com and such. But he'll have numbers just like this. I know on the season over and unders, I'll be talking about SGA a ton He'll be headlining that and he'll be headlining the team leading into next season. And if you guys want to see the full schedule, Thunder posted it online. If you guys want to hear my top five games going into next season, you guys can check out the podcast from Monday's episode. But for this one, that is going to do it. Got you guys over 60 minutes. It's been a minute since we've hit above an hour. Did it today. Hopefully you guys enjoyed me breaking down all 15 of these people there's someone you want me to hone in on a little bit more, just message me on Twitter at Ben Kreider or just go to the uh, pods Twitter directly at Thunderstick Pod. But that's going to do it, like I said, for this one. So really appreciate you guys listening to this episode and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.